Hey guys, it's Pete. Just wanted to let you know that my second book, Frankenstein's Soul's Echo, is now available. It continues the adventure from Frankenstein to Life Beyond, which is a direct sequel to Mary Shelley's classic novel. Both Frankenstein Life Beyond and Frankenstein's Soul's Echo are available as ebooks on Amazon, iBookstore, Barnes and Noble, Cabot, and of course from EnceladusLiterary.com. Thanks. Now on with the show. Welcome to Hindsight is 2020, a show where we look at anything in this world and arrogantly say how we'd fix it. And I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. These two idiots. <laughs> we give our thoughts on movies and TV shows that should or should not have been. Okay, let me see a bad Shut up. Okay, I get it. Bad cop, good cop. Shut up. Okay, okay, okay. Bad cop, bad cop. I got it. With your host... Pete. It's just been revoked. Uh, Peter, he, he didn't really set you up for that lethal weapon line. It, it doesn't really work here. Oh. I'll have what she's having. And Greg. Who are you? That's hardly important, but if it matters, you may call me Mr. Joshua. Let's go. And we slowly and mercilessly beat our subject to death. Killing a cop. Have yeah, we killed a psycho nut. Yeah, a psycho, but I'm still a cop. You coming in? Come on, I'm going in. Fuck you! I'm jumping! Do you really wanna jump? Do you wanna? Well then that's fine with me. Come on. Let's do it, asshole. Let's Wait do it. I wanna do it. I wanna do it. What do you mean? To make me feel good, I gotta worry. I gotta worry. Is it does this does he mean this? Now I got terrified that Mon's gonna come to my house in the middle of the night and kill me. Diplomatic community. And with that, we're talking about Lethal Weapon with <laughs> Riggs and Myrtle. All right. That's right. And Busey Riggs. I could have been Martin Riggs if I wanted to be. But I'm I would the true be. hero of this story if you think about it. You would have had to call me Mr. Martin Riggs. <laughs> However, I decided against it. It was against my better nature, but sir, I'm called Mr. Joshua. <laughs> so, the weapon is lethal, eh? Apparently. And four times it was lethal. <laughs> Somehow, it just kept being really lethal. Until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's been a Mel Gibson-related reboot done successfully this year without mel gibson so <laughs> hey why not another one well i believe we did kind of discuss this at one point on a previous podcast but we're gonna go even further this time that's right this gives me full carte blanche now to put joe pesci all over this episode <laughs> <laughs> and uh according to what i was reading earlier apparently he his character in the second movie was supposed to be totally different he was supposed to be kind of slimy and effeminate it said and somehow he ended up asking for directions from some employee at disneyland and the employee kept doing the okay 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 thing and you ran that by donner and donner said perfect and he ran with it all the way to the bank because suddenly <laughs> joe pesci was everywhere in the 90s and then he disappeared and gave up and quit as happened. Exactly. And I really think, 
yes, he was in Goodfellas, but I think that uh, mainstream-wise, you know, I, oh. well, mainstream-wise, I think he really he hit his stride with the one-two punch of Lethal Weapon and Home Alone. And I think that's where he suddenly was like, let's put Joe Pesci in everything in the 90s. Yeah, they were pretty close together, weren't they? And, and he did Goodfellas at the same time, so he had the credibility of an Oscar. But, uh, yeah, I think pop culture-wise. But we're we're here for the Shane Black masterpiece that is Lethal Weapon and what it spawned. And can it spawn a new one? Because you know somebody at Warner Brothers is sitting there thinking... There's a property we got. What's it doing out there? <laughs> Nothing. We can't bring Mel Gibson back, but we just did another Mel Gibson property in Mad Max where we brought it back without Mel Gibson. Can we well, do it again? Warner Brothers is uh, looking for a franchise again these days. They're rather desperate for one. They blew through all their Harry Potter money, apparently. Well, they're bringing Potter back, and they got the <laughs> DC Universe to keep them alive for the next couple of years if they don't fall on their face, which we've talked about. But. I- and we'll continue to talk about them. <laughs> We're just going to have a huge blowout at the end of the year where it's just going to be, oh, my God, Star Wars Batman. <laughs> Holy Star Wars Batman. But Lethal Weapon. Yeah, yeah those should get blended together. <laughs> Star Batman. Uh, Luke, I'm your father. <laughs> Oh, the Riddler's Han Solo for something. Actually, it would make more sense since it's somebody in a mask for Bane. Luke, (laughs) I'm your father. I'm your father. That's not true. (laughs) That's impossible. Oh, such your feelings. You know it to be true. Alfred, Alfred, (laughs) help me. Use the force, Master Wayne. Use it. Use the force. Oh, this writes itself. And then what? Morgan Freeman is Yoda. <laughs> Force you will use on Dagobah. <laughs> Goodbye. Nice. Yeah, so. Lethal Weapon. All <laughs> <laughs> right. That. Um. I've read the original screenplay by Shane Black, and okay. it was. Well, I very know that this cool. is a rather. Cinderella story-esque background as far as all that went, right? What do you mean by Cinderella story? Please explain. Uh, well, it was it was a one of those darling scripts that uh, became a really hot property. Well, yeah. Uh, it was, you know, what would be called the blacklist now with Hollywood's greatest unproduced scripts. But um, it was... It was kind of one of the first of what became a run for about 10 years in Hollywood of the mega screenwriter, the Shane Black, Joe Esterhaus, where they just became as famous as directors and they would make like a million or two million dollars on spec scripts alone. And it kind of started with Shane Black because he had such an original voice. He wrote the screenplay, not like just a straight narrative, but he would write scene descriptions and he would put parentheses basically talking directly to the reader. And he'd use a lot of fucks and shits and, and he, he just had a very unique way of writing something in a screenplay that I don't think anybody was used to. And that's kind of what made it famous. And then the movie itself took off by itself, but that's kind of what I know it for. And I read it and it was pretty cool. 
But the first lethal weapon, does it tremendously stand out from the sequels? Or would you say that this is just one big gluttony of a four-episode arc of this, of a story? Uh, you asked me to kind of rank them? or Well, not even just rank. Just on a very broad sense, do you think these are four movies of a whole? Or is this one really cool movie that... Hey, we got to make sequels off of this, and suddenly you have different varying degrees of follow-ups. I guess I've never really thought of this as one big movie. I think about this more just like the Lethal Weapon universe, aka Los Angeles. <laughs> um, <laughs> how much damage can they? How do? much damage can we do? How over the top can we get? Uh, what kind of what kind of wacky adventure are we going on? Um, it's it's. I don't know. I, what were we talking about recently where you said it's basically a live-action cartoon? Oh, jeez. I... Oh, Midnight Madness. The yeah. Midnight Madness. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um, Which we will release at some point, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, at points, and they kind of go through this with uh, the Riggs character breaking out into stooge noises and that kind of thing. I mean, they almost go over-the-top cartoony with some of the stunts and the action, but, I mean, that's part of the appeal. That's part of the fun. Um, but so, I don't think they do that until the sequels. I think the first movie is its own. A little bit. A little bit in the first one. But it all uh, is when they're trying When they're trying to sell him more as crazy, I mean, he kind of breaks out some of the stooge noises. And when he's up on that building trying to get the jumper down and that kind of thing. Well, uh, they'll go I, a little But I think crazy. they deal with it more in like a psychological way. They do. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy, it's, which they fade I, out from in the sequel. Yeah, I don't want to say it's smarter <laughs> in the original. Um, maybe just more faithful to, since I haven't read the screenplay, maybe it's just more faithful to the screenplay and the characters that Black had envisioned. Pretty much. I think more than anything, pop culture-wise, the original Lethal Weapon, I guess along with 48 Hours, really... Those two movies kind of created their own genre. The buddy cop movie really comes from 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon. If you think about it, there really isn't anything else out there that you could say. Uh, the original 48 Hours? Well, that's what I mean. 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon. But Oh, Beverly Hills Cop you mentioned. I'm trying to think if there is anything else. I think you had a lot of like pseudo knockoff things you had like schwarzenegger's red heat and stuff like that yeah but i think when you know hot <laughs> fuzz is made or uh you know any sort of the other guys with will ferrell and mark Wahlberg, it's really all stemming off of lethal weapon it's just amazing how much resonance this one screenplay this one movie has that people really don't think much about until you look back you're like oh yeah that's the the phrase, I'm getting too old for this shit, really comes from Lethal Weapon, if you think about it. Well, I, if you go further back, uh, if you go to some of those more gritty 70s cop buddy movies, The French Connection, some of the, well, I, it wasn't necessarily a buddy movie, but the Dirty Harry movies and that type of thing. I think this does kind of, you can kind of trace this back. Um would we consider this an update of those kind of formulas or what was different about this? What made it stand out? Was it just that there hadn't really, like you noted, been a whole lot of this up until that point on the big screen in the 80s? Or There just wasn't the 
partner, the equal level partnership kind of thing, I think was something that was new. Even 48 hours wasn't an equal level because you had one cop, one criminal. This is two cops, buddy cops. One's on the edge, one isn't. But just think of all the things that have come out of just the original Lethal Weapon. Like, I'm two days away from retirement, and the police chief is always yelling at us. And it's just, it's it's amazing to me when you think about all the stuff that really kind of stems from Lethal Weapon as far as the buddy cop, the way cops and action movies are, the way a police station looks in an action movie. Uh, it's it's just very, and this is a year before Die Hard, so it was starting down that kind of action movie path too. So it was, it was very. I, I would hate to hate to say groundbreaking because you know, like you said, it's following a lot of things, but it it just reset a tone for cop movies that I think we still see today. Cop more movies, parodies. but remember, we had an awful lot of TV shows. In the 80s, especially the mid-80s, dealing with cops. You had your Miami Vice, you had Hunter. True. Um, those types of things. So, I mean, this this formula was out there, but I don't know if the idea of ever pairing up kind of a cop who's ready to hang it up with somebody who may or may not be crazy, I think that was definitely an original take. Yeah, it just was original, I guess. That's what I'm getting at. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it had its own unique thing, and we'll go ass backwards to how we normally do this, so maybe we won't go as long, but is this too much of a parody to be able to remake this today? Are we talking the basically the exact same script with maybe a tweak here or there for updating purposes? or Just like you do for doing a remake i mean you can't have murtaugh get out in the middle of a bridge pull out his humongous car phone box and make a call <laughs> to the uh the psychologist who the actress just died rest in peace but uh yeah. you, you can't have that <laughs> you know you're not going to have nearly as much of like the cocaine references and stuff as you did in the mid 80s but yeah eggs be smoking <sighs> I guess, <laughs> but I just wonder because it was such a unique screenplay, it's got to be something that Warner Brothers is looking at doing something with again, with everything we're getting out of the 80s being redone. And I'll get it out of the way right now because Die Hard 4 and 5 proved it. <laughs> Mel Gibson's career proved it, and Mad Max Fury Road proved it. <laughs> There's no need to bring Danny Glover and Mel Gibson back and do part five. They need to do a reboot if they're going to do it, which you know they're going to. So that's my stance. Is I, I I could have taken, like, on our episode about Mad Max, I could have taken Mel Gibson there. I thought that would have been kind of cool, actually. Here, it's done. <laughs> it's over. If you're going to do something with it, those guys are finished. It could have finished with three. Four was unnecessary. I could see them, like, walking out the door past the new guys or whatever and then just pausing and giving one of those weird ironic looks and you have the sax music suddenly, like, 
twirl up in the soundtrack. Oh, the saxophone. <laughs> the 80s saxophone and nothing epitomizes it more than the Lethal Weapon soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, no, I I agree. I think if you're going to start start fresh, which would of course beg the question, well, who might work? <laughs> who might work in these roles? Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. What? <gasps> oh, oh no. Honestly, you could. I mean, I can't. Well, no, I was going to backtrack that because I was going to say, well, you get kind of unknowns. But you know, Danny Glover had been in Color Purple and had been around for a while, and Mo Gibson had already been Mad Max. He just wasn't. He'd actually had already been Sexiest Man Alive, but I don't think he was super famous. I think Lethal Weapon really made him super famous. But I mean, you. I always hate that casting idea because it could be anyone, everyone, and someone we've never heard of. So it's oh sure. I it's, mean, we're just we're just playing here. <laughs> Streetback, we're just playing here. Well, I'm trying to think. I mean, um, Gibson kind of looking back on his film career at that point kind of makes sense because, as you mentioned, he had the Mad Max movies under his belt, um, and always seemed to kind of perpetually playing that guy on the edge, so to speak. Uh, I'm trying to think, and I'm. <laughs> This is kind of sad. The only person I'm coming up with who tends to play kind of crazy people is Helena Bonham Carter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which means Johnny Depp has to play the Danny Glover role. Uh, I guess. (laughs) And it has to be directed by Tim Burton for some reason. I'm trying uh, to think if if there's another kind of current actor who tends to gravitate towards more of the fractured mental state roles. See, I'd, I'd flip this around and go completely opposite to what I just said for like 15 seconds. I would say if they really wanted to do a part five, you could by saying Murtaugh's dead. <laughs> Riggs is now like a, a captain or something he had a baby with Rene Russo in the fourth movie, so that kid has got to be close to 20 years old. Um, and he could bring on some... I mean, Michael B. Jordan is the young African-American actor of the moment who's in everything, Fantastic Four and Creed. and But just some young African-American actor can come in and you can flip the script and make him the, the new cop... Well, See, uh, 15 seconds are up and I'm already stumbling over. That sounds awful. So, no, reboot completely. Never mind. <laughs> Just start <laughs> over. You got an older cop who's on the verge of retirement, and he's partnered up with a guy on the edge who just lost his wife. And even though they did deal with the – I think we talked about this in the last episode. I won't go too far, but I, I they did briefly deal with the – suicide of his or the the murder of his wife and he's suicidal and he's on the edge i think you could dig more into that you could actually instead of starting with Riggs already crazy and then having a psychiatrist explain what happened i think you could actually just show that happening you could show his wife dying and then go to like six months later and that way you could see an actual transition happen with Riggs. So he doesn't start off as an already like a cartoon character who then you have to slowly learn why he's suicidal. And then in the second movie, you have to do some retcon to say, well, the South South African 
weirdo with diplomatic immunity killed your wife, <laughs> diplomatic Riggs. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> diplomatic immunity. But he killed your wife, Riggs, by driving her off the road and for some reason. <laughs> well, why? <laughs> we just met in the second movie. <laughs> Never even heard of you in the first movie. So are you saying if you redid it, you'd want uh, more of that backstory just built in? Yeah, why not? Why not just open the movie with... Riggs and his wife, what was her name? Vicky, I think was her name. They're just doing their drive along and, or no, no, no. It was, uh, he was late for dinner cause he was working or something and she left early and got into a car wreck and died or, or something like that. Just show that and then just have a passage of time to like six months later and he comes back on the force and gets partnered up with the guy who's on his way out, which as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, they did that exact same damn thing in the movie seven. They almost <laughs> yes, did, they the, did. Same, almost the same thing. Cause Morgan Freeman was on his way out and Brad Pitt was transferred. And suddenly they were partnered up for some reason. What is it with all these old black guys getting on verge of retirement, having to deal with these young idiots? They're like, oh, damn it. <laughs> So Morgan Freeman's out for the recast. Well, I mean, that's really all I'd change. And everything else you can do is just update. Doesn't need to be cocaine. It can be some other modern day thing. And you can still be on the edge and you can still deal with the script. You can maybe do a couple of twists and turns to, to change it up a little bit. Yeah, I think you'd have to I think you'd have to tweak some of that just to keep people's interest. Otherwise it's like, oh, it's a shot for shot remake of a movie I already know. <laughs> but I mean that's all they do. And you know, we're only uh twenty eight years beyond here, we're almost thirty years, and that's usually the cycle for remakes. So I I, I mean we're we're seeing Ghostbusters being redone. Uh, they're talking about a Top Gun 2, which, oh, God, maybe we'll do another episode on that. I don't know. But, I mean, they're remaking everything, and this is one of those screenplays that just, I think, calls out for being able to be adjusted to any age. Well, if you made Riggs the old guy and you made Murtaugh the young guy. You know, what do you accomplish there? Are you just talking about the black-white issue? Not necessarily. I'm just saying if you, like, you kept the same basic roles and everything like that, but you just flip-flopped the ages. So is Riggs, so Riggs still is suicidal? Like, hmm? Riggs is still suicidal? Um, yeah, why not? He could be close to retirement and... Um, has to take on this new partner and then something happens to his wife while he's doing this investigation and kind of you turn everything on its ear that way. Okay, yeah, so I was going along the original script and I'm like, well, why would he come back if he's on the verge of retirement? He might as well just retire. Well, yeah, that, that <laughs> wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, man, his wife just died. He's suicidal, but he's got to come back on for three more days so he can be three days away from retirement. <laughs> what? I just got to come in here and say this line. <laughs> and then they'll let me go. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, 
I honestly, I don't know where I'd go with this outside of, well, take the original script and update it. <laughs> That's really all I could think of because it is so adaptable. I mean, there's always going to be cops and the buddy cop thing is always going to be a thing. All right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit then about what we got in the sequels and other than just plot points or whatever, what might you like to take or what might you like to leave behind? What kind of worked going forward after this original movie? Well, see, that's the good idea right there. I think you could actually do a remake of Lethal Weapon by just combining the first three elements. There's elements of the first three you could put in to make uh, one good movie. Okay, well, we talked about some of the elements there in number two. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you've got to, would Leo Getz still come come along for the ride? That's unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, his his role in part two was good as far as it was just another character thrown in for the plot. It wasn't like, well, here's another character to join the family in our ongoing series of Lethal Weapon movies. It was just, here's the guy that we have to protect from in witness protection. And he just happens to be quirky because, well, why not make him quirky? He's going to be in the movie. And then all of a sudden, well, let's just keep bringing him back for some reason, even though he doesn't really do anything. <laughs> He's not <laughs> really worthwhile or something. Yeah, him coming back was just, I think, more, well, the fans liked it last time. Let's do it again. Oh, we're wrapping things up? Well, you got to get Pesci in on that. <laughs> I think you can bring a character in that's like Leo in that it's maybe uh, some underground informant that they have or somebody like that that's tied into... Somebody who's kind of part of the underworld or been part of the underworld or something like that. Yeah, that they can know or or have some sort of relationship with that you see and maybe it can be in there for some comedic you know some comedy relief every once in a while not to that cartoonish extreme but he can be in there and then i think the idea of meeting somebody like renee russo's character i don't know if you necessarily want to shoehorn that in the first movie but meeting somebody yeah, like her to you can actually, if you, if Warner Brothers would say, well, we're going to set this up and do a, you know, two part story or something like that, you could introduce her as somebody working in internal affairs that's all tied into whatever the first story is. Yeah, it'd be good. Well, okay. Well, here's another one for you then. I, when you asked me and I said, I don't really think of this as like one big movie, uh, how do you tend to think of it as one big movie or what's your take on that? It's not one big movie because it's not a serialized story. Right. The closest they come to serializing the story is, like I said, they do that retcon of having that torture scene with the South African guy at the end of Lethal Weapon 2 saying, I drove your wife off the, the, the bridge, Riggs, or whatever. He he talked like that. And... <laughs> uh, I'm just going to try to make him sound Australian. <laughs> I the voice that I won't. <laughs> That's all right, Riggs. So they, they just threw him in there and mentioned that, and that all of a sudden, oh, well, that brings that back. And there was that ongoing thing about Murtaugh always thinking Riggs had something for his oldest daughter. 
but these were just little points that were thrown in. They weren't really, I mean, outside of the South African wife thing, that was really the only story point that was brought back over right. and over. Even Leo, each time he came back, he was doing something different, and he just would show up for some reason. <laughs> so it's not really one big serialized movie, but they did do a good job of realizing that it's the relationships of these people is, is what's going to bring it back for a three and a four. I mean, that's why they ended the last thing that happens in part four is they smile for a picture and say, no, we're all family. And so, you know, they're growing that relationship, seeing Murtaugh's family and Riggs kind of becomes part of their family. And then Riggs meets Rene Russo and then they have a, a kid in part four and, Chris Rock comes in to marry the daughter in part four. and Even Joe Pesci is part of the family. By <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yeah, again, he, Leo Getz is vaguely unnecessary. He's just there because, well, he, he was the funny part. Remember? It's the Stifler problem. It will forever be the Stifler problem from American Pie. Oh, sure. Well, do you think uh, if they were to go through and reboot this and everything, do you think that they should try for some, like, longer game, overarching kind of universe, world-building storytelling where different elements link up more than they did with the original films? Or do you think it's better just to have the, oh, this is the adventure this time, and here's the bad guy we're going after this time, and here's the issue we're kind of delving into here? I think they would go for the latter, but universe building is what everyone is about right now. Right. I don't care what movie, the property they have. We got a new Terminator movie coming out, and we're creating a new universe for it to have a different universe of possibilities, which means making more movies and more money. They're going to make money. More money. Yeah, buddy, more money. <laughs> of course, they're going to think. Well, if we make this one and successful, what are we going to do for the sequels? So, of course, you can set that kind of stuff up. I think, like I said, you could do a decent two-part. Doesn't need to be a trilogy. You can just do a two-part reboot, leave it open-ended, and you could have whatever the overarching bad guy is, like the South African crime guys from the, the second one. You could make some sort of big bad that is in the shadows as the first one as Riggs and Murtaugh have to take them down and they're interpersonally connected because they killed Riggs' wife because they were getting too close to their crime syndicate, whatever it is, which, again, is what that retcon makes you believe in part two, even though in part one there's never a mention of South Africa ever. At all. <laughs> it's pure retcon in part no, two. No, that's a, oh, this was really successful. We have to make a second one. Exactly. Yeah. And they didn't even say, well, Riggs, we were tied in with the drug people in part <laughs> part one. No, you you just said, oh, we killed you because you were getting too close to us. Close to you? Who the hell are you? <laughs> I don't even know you. Oh, I'm sorry. I killed the wrong person. There you go. Every time they walk in or out of the station, they 
pause and they look at somebody from one of the past movies coming in or out. So all of those South African guys are walking out the door at one point. You just see the guy walk by going, diplomatic immunity. <laughs> he just walks past. This is one line. Hey, are you going to pay for this burger? Diplomatic immunity. Just follow him around for five minutes going around town. <laughs> Sir, are you going to tip the valet? Diplomatic immune. Okay, we get it. Immunity. Uh-huh. All right, all right. That's fine. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I thought we'd be able to talk more, but I think personally, it's a reboot. No Gibson, no uh, Glover, and you just combine some of the character relationships from the four movies and i think you can make a a decent two-part reboot of lethal weapon and you can go harsher with it you can go i mean it was actually pretty rated r for 1987 yeah (laughs) but i mean you could even go a little bit harder with it now and and you could raise the stakes even a little bit more they they attempted to like in part two, he meets Patsy Kensett and starts something up with her, and then she dies at the end. Spoiler. Um, and again, in the first movie, they only mention that Riggs' wife died, and you think that the kids are going to, that Murtaugh's kids or family is always in trouble, but they always come out clean at the other side every movie. Raise the stakes. Kill off one of Murtaugh's fam- kill Murtaugh's wife at the end of the first movie. All of a sudden, this means war. And Murtaugh suddenly in the second movie is a single dad, and and now he's facing down the barrel of retirement. But he doesn't want to retire because now he's got some rage, revenge issues that Riggs is rubbing off on him. And Riggs will have to walk him back to the good side and heal himself at the same time. Well, you 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 jest and you laugh, but that's basically yeah how you could make a. I'm not jesting and laughing. I'm a decent I'm second movie. Totally serious. That's what would happen. Is that you know you open the first movie with the death of Riggs' wife and then he's suicidal and then he becomes partners with Murtaugh and they get into it and then they're chasing whoever the drug runners or bad guys or whatever they are and they think they've caught them and we have a vaguely happy ending like we did at the end of the first one where it's thanksgiving dinner and suddenly you know the the main bad guys the are for lesser for a better term for later but our south african whatever's for now would be would show up just before the ending credits of part one and end up killing murtaugh's wife and injuring one of his kids and Riggs is like tied up and I could see Mel Gibson doing that. One of those tip, those classic, he's tied up doing the Mel Gibson yell thing as he's dislocating his shoulder yet again. Yeah. As he's like not able to do anything, not able to save him or protect him or whatever. And then we boom, cut to credits and then see you next year. And then part two picks up and, you know, Riggs is now, not only he's getting over his suicidal notes because maybe he met the Rene Russo character at the end of part one. And who knows how much time is passing along here because it could be a little awkward. But 
say it's six months, a year, something like that, and he just met Rene Russo's character at the end of part one, and then we start part two, and it's maybe two, three months later, Riggs is now starting to come out of his suicidal thoughts because he's got the Rene Russo relationship, but he's now torn up with guilt because he wasn't able to do anything. And Murtaugh's in even worse shape because he wasn't able to do anything. And his family, his wife died and his kid got injured and he was close to retirement. And now he's all back in. And well, maybe Murtaugh has some kind of romance in this new one. See, I don't know if that's always the answer, though. I think I think it would work best if you kept Riggs and the Rene Russo. I'm trying to remember. So I did this connect correctly. It was Lorna. That's right. That was her name. So there you go. So you have Riggs and Lorna can form a relationship during part two. And then Murtaugh can just be like a better dad. Or, you know, learn how to be a single father and get, and by the end of part two, they're kind of both helping each other. Riggs and Murtaugh are helping each other get over their separate grief issues as they, in 80s movie style, the way you get over your grief issues is to shoot two guns at one time and blow up bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) Blow them up good so that you can actually, you know, win the day because that's how you did it back then. Uh, Here's another question for you. All right, so we would leave it based in L.A. Does it work to take them on the road if you sent them for one part of their investigation to somewhere like Vegas? Then we get into seven. (laughs) Let's put these guys off in the desert. Suddenly, John Doe doesn't have to get the upper hand. (laughs) That's what I mean. John. Suddenly Danny Glover's, John Doe has the upper hand, Riggs. Uh, no, because I think it's not really a road movie. I think it works better as they're just they're cops and their jurisdiction in L.A. Right. I think it's it's all about their relationship and whatever crime thing that they're in the middle of solving with these two movies gets solved by the end of the second movie, and they come to some sort of relationship and understanding and. I think that's one of the reasons why two, three, and four, well, especially three and four are looked down on is mm-hmm. because they didn't really raise any stakes. And by raising the stakes is pure Joss Whedon. They didn't kill anybody. Uh, actually, I think when I was looking up and doing some research, the highest kill count is in the second movie. No, but I, no, I... I'm talking they killed people sure they this was an 80s action movie they killed hundreds without any remorse but the only death that had any semblance on screen of emotion was the Patsy Kensett character in Lethal Weapon 2 the girl he was with briefly sure but even then it was like they had a one night stand and then suddenly he's Mel Gibson crying holding her on on the docks <laughs> <laughs> So there wasn't a whole lot there. And then three and four, they just kept going. They just kept going and they'd kill them and they'd raise the stakes and getting too old for this shit. They tried to have an emotional moment with that rookie cop getting done in by the armor piercing bullet, which was awful because it was like, Hey, who are you? I'm a rookie cop. All right. And then next scene, Hey, I'm coming with you. 
But you're just a kid. You have a shield. You have a, a vest on. Yep, sure do. Sure and do. Because this is going to come dead. in and be important later. <laughs> and then, oh man, there's a there's a funeral for a gangbanger. Who is it? I don't know. Just some random friend of my son's. Oh, all right, whatever. <laughs> there was there was no stakes. And then at four, I don't even remember. Did anybody other than Jet Li? <laughs> <laughs> He didn't make it to the end of the movie, but did anybody else? Was there any attempt at some kind of an emotional well, there was death at, for anybody? Or? Well, at the end of part three, you had Lorna getting shot, just like Riggs did at the end of part two. Oh, yes. Okay, I remember that. And one. then they flew off in the helicopter, and she was fine, and they didn't even see her again. They flew off in the helicopter, faded up, and then all of a sudden it's a bright, sunny day on Murtaugh Street. They get in Riggs' pickup truck. Oh, I'm going to see Lauren in the hospital. Hey, all right. It was like, oh, this is like a 70s sitcom. Everybody's all right. <laughs> we'll be all right for the next episode. The street. I'm going to go see her in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> they freeze frame for the credits. <laughs> These happy days are yours and mine. Uh, I mean, that's really kind of how it was. And I think if you reboot it now and you want to be edgy and he's suicidal, sure, he's suicidal. But it's much worse if he's suicidal, he holds off to become a hero and then watches somebody close in the family die that he couldn't protect or save or help. And now how much worse is he? I feel like Hollywood would go for some kind of terrorist story this time. Which is if they uh, rebooted yeah, this. That's possible. It could uh we could work about getting out the Five members of the Asian Dawn. Asian Dawn. I read about them in Time Magazine. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's. I'd say it's just nameless bad guy num- organization B, whatever their name is. <laughs> That's who it would be. There you go. That's who they're fighting against. Organization B. B. <laughs> That's right. They they fought and beat Organization A in Part 1, but they didn't realize that Organization A was actually first surface of a bigger level organization called Organization B. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really in for it now. You thought the shit hit the fan in the original. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, <laughs> Donald Sutherland is the clumsy Clumsy waiter. waiter. (laughs) (laughs) It's lethal weapon. (laughs) I'm not arguing that with you, Riggs. (laughs) uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, go check it out, people. (laughs) I don't know what the hell we're talking about. Oh, I was just... uh guessing what they they would go for the low-hanging fruit and go for some kind of terrorist story if they were going to reboot this now. True, but then wouldn't you start getting into Homeland Security's involved and FBI's involved? And well, that's see, a- that's where the Rene Russo character could come from. She's stepping all over them because she's, she's not from internal some affairs big federal anymore. agency. Mm-hmm. Eh? Okay, there you go. So she's no longer internal affairs. She's Homeland yeah. Security. She's Claire Danes in Homeland. Hey, hey. <laughs> you don't think about that, Carrie. Whatever her name is, blubbery cry face every episode. <laughs> Yeah, as I said it out loud, I think that's the one thing that would have to happen is some sort of real stakes 
would have to be, I mean, they would have to kill someone in the, not in the, it was kind of in that core group. Take anyone in the, in the final freeze frame of part four, kill them during the movie, and suddenly you have stakes and something from that for them to come back to. So one of Murtaugh's family members to die. So you're looking for an Agent Coulson death. Yes, but then not doing a Lethal Weapon spinoff TV show in which suddenly, hey, Riggs' wife is alive and living in San Jose suddenly. <laughs> On the beach. <laughs> Writing those romance novels she wrote in part four for some reason. Because that was a subplot that was useless. Well, there were, I think, several of those in part four, if I remember correctly. <laughs> well, and my my honest crit- criticism is that's why three and four are not really looked well upon, because they just simply go through the motions. Here's Riggs, here's Marta, yeah, they they're shooting really these guys. the characters in any kind of significant way. I mean, I think they... They try to do that with Riggs having his new relationship and, again, having the baby at the end of part four and everything, but it just doesn't resonate the same way. No. I mean, at the end of part four, they had Riggs stuck under whatever, something underneath a dock under the water and Murtaugh diving down to get him, and they just lived happily ever after again, and... You just can't keep doing that. That's why, A, you can't do a part five, and B, put some stakes in this sucker, and suddenly you're <laughs> back to where you were with the first one, which was something pretty dark and gritty, but even more so for the modern day. Uh, how much uh, how much comedy then? Because I, I think uh, they did try to put in comedy where they could here with this original group of movies and everything. Uh, you keep talking about the grittier take. How much comedy should remain? Well, there can be things stemming from kind of what Mel Gibson did with the original character, kind of his love of the Three Stooges, that kind of, I don't want to really say Heath Ledger, Joker kind of thing, but that kind of dark humor out of somebody who's just so off kilter on the edge that you can't help but laugh at a couple of the things like you know you want to jump and he jumps off the roof and then it turns out he handcuffed the guy and they land in an airbag and that was kind of a little bit of a laughy release and then people brought back into the drama when you Riggs takes him inside that place and yells chews him out for jumping off the the roof you could have humor like that it's two three and four where they just start putting in out out comedy where you know like okay they're really not going to do anything dramatic here they're just throwing in joe pesci for comedy and there's no reason you could have some interplay between the guys that might work but i think the original tone of the first movie was supposed to be this dark and gritty with the snarky comedy that comes out of the events not just some forced we're back you're black i'm back i'm mad yeah that's a trailer line yeah let's go what (laughs) well we got the trailer taken care of folks that's a wrap for the day (laughs) well since uh riggs wasn't supposed to survive the boat shooting at the end of uh part two 
Uh, do you think both these guys should make it all the way to the end? I think so. I think in whatever we've come up with here, if you're on board with the two-parter idea, I think if you kill off one of Murtaugh's family, then you have the two of them kind of growing together. So at the end of our little two-parter or really long one movie, however that would be done, that I, I think they both survive because they both are kind of learning how to cope with these and massive events and become true partners, I guess, in, in some semblance of the word. And then after that, if they want to go and do some additional movies or whatever, fine. But I think just that growing experience of Riggs lost his wife. Riggs is suicidal. Murtaugh is a happy family man who's on the verge of retirement. They face this big, tough, evil thing, whatever. Murtaugh's wife is killed. Now he's got to have trouble. And Riggs is coming out of it because he just met someone. And now they have the bigger bad that they have to take down. And they finally go and take the big bad down and get injured. And they grow to points where they were kind of forced in two, three, and four, which was, oh, now they're just happy-go-lucky buddies who remember when they hated each other? Well, they make little mentions of that because they know they're joking. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't have much more to say. <laughs> I don't have much more to go. I, I, I think uh, this is longer than any executive You're would think about You're driving your it. motorcycle off the unfinished freeway, you feel like? With a broken windshield? Yeah. As Cindy Crawford talks about it on that MTV movie special about summer of 92. Oh, God, I brought that up again. (laughs) Bang! Who's got that on their bingo card? (laughs) Bang! It's right there. Winner! Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, uh... I don't don't have much more to go on on Lethal Weapon. What what else you got in in the... uh, the quiver there of Gibsonisms. Oh, I think uh, I think that you're right. I think this is going to see some kind of a reboot. You'd like to see it done smartly. Um, personally, I think yeah, keeping the tone of the first one is probably the way to kind of go about it. You know, uh, play with the formula, play with the characters a little bit. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. Did you just expectations? Say, huh? Did you just say play with the formula? We're gonna play the with the formula. Haven, <laughs> <laughs> you totally gotta play with the formula. Go Haven, play with the formula. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I just heard formula. Uh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Where That's all right. I think when you were talking about that, I sudden it suddenly hit me. He said he wanted to change it up. The first thought would be, "Well, let's make it like Ghostbusters. It's all women." And I thought, "Wait, Paul Feig did the Heat with Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock was v- very similar to Lethal Weapon." Now that I'm remembering back, I only saw that movie once, but that almost seemed like a Lethal Weapon reboot. Because you had Melissa, but changed a little bit because Melissa McCarthy's character was kind of belligerent and tough and it had some damage done in her life. But she had this big, gruffy family and Sandra Bullock was all prim and proper and, you know, above board. And she kind of got absorbed into this raucous Boston family atmosphere and they learned to be partners 
And it was almost, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, that really was kind of like a, somebody looked at Lethal Weapon and said, let's change it up a bit with two women. And that's kind of what happened. So it can be done. Apparently so. Apparently we're late <laughs> to the game because now as I'm thinking more and more, I have to go back and watch it again. I don't really want to, but I think the heat is <laughs> lethal weapon of the modern day. All right. So we invalidate everything we've been talking about. <laughs> don't you feel good you stuck around to hear this? Screw everything we talked about and go watch Lethal Weapon 3 again. <laughs> There you go. That's how we'll end it. We'll end it like now playing. What is your ranking of the four Lethal Weapon movies? Mm. Well, I think one then two is easy enough. I, God, I don't know if I liked three or four better. They're just on kind of an even plane for me. Well, I think it's easy because any movie that came out in 1989 was right around my sweet spot of watching movies endlessly on VHS. So I would put Lethal Weapon 2 as my favorite, and then 1, and then 4, and then 3. 3 is just a mess. It's just not... I remember it being tonally off. Exactly. What's that four-letter word? Poop. No, I'm just kidding. It's I'm tone. Kidding. <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah, it's it really it, was. Yeah, and there were certain things going on with the characters that just tonally didn't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah, you talked about going through the motions, and that really felt like going through the motions. At least with four, it seemed like they were trying to give them more of a proper send off and everything. So I think that's why, even though four is. Still flawed. Um, I think I roll with it. But three has the stronger connection to the original two movies, so that's why I kind of put them on the same level for me. Yep. Yep. I'm just just kind of there, and I'm kind of getting too old for this podcast shit. All right. Well, I'm going to go put my mullet on and head out to the beach. <laughs> with with Sam. Woof. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Episodes can be downloaded on iTunes or at EnceladusLiterary.com. Yes, this is in Virgin Territory. What is this, knife? Uh, oh, it's an axe. Some guy mistook my head for a log. Yeah, that's a natural mistake. What are you saying? I got a wooden head? Yeah. Look at that. Opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect those of Enceladus Literary. <laughs> gonna die on the toilet, aren't I? Guys like you don't die on toilets. Anyway, I'm here and I'm not planning on going just now. Okay, but... Ah! <laughs>